as we kind of journey back into the Gospel of Luke, you know we've kind of been entering the Gospel of Luke and we leave for a season. When we enter the Gospel of Luke, we leave for a season. We're back at it for a little while. Probably until we get to the point where we're going to move towards our Advent season, I think. Um, just as we've been praying about that, it just feels maybe that's the direction the Lord has for us. Uh, and so let me just remind you of a few things from where we have been to where we are going. I think that always kind of helps to frame up what we're going to study today because, you know, as we were journeying through the Gospel of Luke, we were learning some things that Luke wanted us to see about Jesus, specifically that he was Lord over something. Do you remember that? Uh, it, it started out that he's Lord over disease. And so when we, we see Jesus healing people and and we see him doing these miracles. Then we see that he's Lord over the wind and the waves. He was Lord over the storms of the disciples' lives. I mean, what an incredible moment that must have been for those guys to go through. Then we find that he is Lord over the, the, the demons, you know, the demonic. Uh, and you remember just what, what the disciples have been experiencing. They've been in the storm. <laughs> Then they get off the boat, like, woo, made it through. And then crazy naked guy running out of the tombs meets them and starts screaming at them. That, and that's what they're dealing with. And so Jesus shows that he's Lord over that. He continues to do that. And where we pick up today is the story that is, is really the only kind of story that we find in all four of the gospels. And it's the feeding of the 5,000. And we're gonna be in Luke chapter nine today. Jesus has sent the disciples out on their first missionary journey. They've gone out without him and he sent them out and said, I want you to go. You're not supposed to take anything with you. You're going to go and minister. People should take care of you when you're there. If a town rejects you, just leave is what he's told them. And so they have done that. And the last few weeks, remember, have been just a little bit crazy for them. What they've seen, what they've experienced, and now they've gone out on their own without Jesus for the first time. It's like the training wheels are slowly starting to come off. And why is he doing that? He's preparing them for when he's going back to heaven, right? They, they don't fully grasp this yet. In, in their minds, they don't see that there's coming a day where Jesus isn't going to be with them. We're going to see in a few weeks that he prepares them for that. And they still don't get it. So this is like... You've watched me, you've been with me, now you go out. They come back and they're looking for a place just to hang out. And the Bible says that they, they traveled off to a place called Bethsaida. And they, while they're in Bethsaida, it's this town kind of in the northern region of the Sea of Galilee and, and there's nothing there. I mean, it's just a small town, right? And the Bible says that there were 5,000 men in, in this feeding of the 5,000. And it's not really to slight women and children. I don't, I don't mean it that way. But let's put it this way. There are way more than 5,000 people here. The feeding of the 5,000 men that sat down that day. Way more than 5,000 people here hanging around. And so now this little town and the area around it has swelled to multiple times its capacity. This is not normal for it. They have no infrastructure, and that's where we begin reading. And I want us to read Luke chapter nine, verse 12 through 18. Late in the day, the 12 approached and said to him, send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. 
We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had all of them sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. There's an interesting thing that we see in Jesus's life immediately. Now, I just told you they've been on this, this kind of missionary journey. They've, they've come through a harrowing experience of the, the storm and the demoniac, and they're looking for a place to kind of come back and rest. And they're in Beth's side of this little place and the crowd finds them and Jesus does what he always does. He starts teaching them and starts healing them. And now it's getting late and the disciples say, um, you need to send these people away. It's time for them to go because we don't have capacity. And Jesus is welcoming these people even though that this intense season of ministry has been happening and I think it's because Jesus always has compassion on the crowds. You see that in the scripture over and over again. Every time he's around a crowd of people, there's a compassionate side of our Lord that really starts to show up. And it has to be because he sees beyond what the disciples see. He sees the stories of each one of these people. You know, when God looks at us, he knows our beginning, he knows our end. So he sees the triumph of your life, he sees the tragedies of your life. He sees all of those things because he created that life. And so when he looks at you, he doesn't just see a person, he doesn't see an annoyance, he doesn't see a, a schedule conflict, he doesn't see something that's wrecking his plans. What Jesus sees is someone he has made, someone he has known, the whole picture of their lives. And so the disciples do what they do often in scripture, send them away. It's funny. There are two other times in scripture that the disciples had this idea. One was when Jesus was trying to do some teaching and people kept interrupting the teaching, bringing their children to Jesus and saying, hey, could you bless my child? And the disciples were like, get this kid away from here. The master is busy, he's teaching. And Jesus says, what are you doing? No, 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 let the kids come. Let them come to me. What the disciples saw as a problem because there was a goal in front of Jesus and Jesus needed to be teaching. He had a lot of important things to say. Jesus stopped that and he took time for a child. I love it when children interrupt. As long as they're not my children. Do you ever feel that way? Kids are cute, aren't they? They're wonderful. And yet sometimes, what do we do? Get away. Be quiet. I'm busy. Be quiet. Jesus always had time. There's a second time the disciples also told Jesus to send someone away. There was a Gentile woman that was following Jesus and she kept shrieking and crying after him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me because her daughter was tormented. And they kept saying, don't bother him, be quiet, shut up. We don't wanna hear this anymore, you're annoying us. Jesus began to interact with her and he said, look, I didn't come for the Gentiles. Why should I give what's fitting for the children to the dogs? And you remember what that lady said? Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs at the table. 
And Jesus stopped and said, I hadn't found faith like this around here. Jesus was never bothered by people. He was never wanting to send people away because he understood something that we often miss. Growing in our faith in Christ, the discipleship of following Jesus, it's not a class, it's not your next Bible study, it's not the next podcast you're going to listen to, it's not the next sermon you're going to listen to. Ministry is people. Ministry is people. There's this thing that kind of makes its way around uh, pastors from time to time and, and they'll say things like this, you know, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. <laughs> then it wouldn't be ministry. The, the ministry is people. That, that, that's what it is in our lives. And, and so when we think someone is wrecking our plans, when we think someone is annoying us because we're trying to get something done, we often overlook that person and we overlook the opportunity, but Jesus never did. He's never too busy for any of these people. And listen to me, he's never too busy for you. He's never too busy for me. He's never too busy. People often say they don't want to bother God. They, they say things like, well, I don't want to pray about that. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to bring the Lord that little prayer because it's a little thing. I shouldn't have to bring that to God. And what it really is, I think, is that they don't believe that God will intervene and answer that prayer. We just couch it like that. God's too busy. But listen to what the scripture says in Psalm 121. It says, the Lord that we serve, he will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. He doesn't take time off. God doesn't need to, to, to go to the beach and get a reset. He, he doesn't have to do that. He's always willing for us to come He's there when he needs us. And I want you to hear me when I say this. You're never an interruption to the Lord. You're never an interruption to the Lord. The disciples missed it. Can you send them away? We got things to do here. It's getting late. We don't want to be responsible for these people. As a church, let us never, ever forget that people are the ministry. That, that's why we're here. We're glorifying God and ministering to what? People. Not animals, people. Not things, people. We're not just building buildings. We're not trying to build a name for ourselves. We're ministering to people. That's what it's about. But the disciples recognized they had a problem. And so they say to Jesus, it's getting late. There's nowhere for us to get this stuff that we need. It's a small town. There's not enough shops, not enough food. There's limited resources. And Jesus says something amazing. Would you look back at verse 13? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Well, here's the, the teaching point. It's a challenge for these disciples, isn't it? Because obviously there's something that Jesus is asking them to do and they cannot do it. The most misquoted scripture that I've ever heard in my life is actually not in the scripture. God won't put more on you than you can handle. It's in the Bible. Mm, not there. Can't find it. It's a confusion of a scripture where the apostle Paul says that there's no temptation that's been given to us except that God provides a way out of that temptation, right? That's not that God won't put more on you can handle. Do you think the disciples could handle this? You give them something to eat. Uh, well, 
Uh, let's go over the options. We've already talked about option one, send them away. Option two is to look in the money bag. The Gospel of John tells us that Philip did the sensible thing. He looked in the money bag and says, there's not enough. We don't have it. This would take 200 denarii to feed all these people. What he's saying is it's, it's more than half a year's wage for us to feed all these people. We, we don't have that in the, in the coffer, Jesus. We don't have that in our purse. We're running low on resources. What can we do? Well, there was Andrew, the improviser. Jesus said, feed these people. Andrew got busy. He started walking around. Who's got anything to eat? And the, the Gospel of John tells us there was a young boy there, right? Who had a couple of loaves and a few fish. And so Andrew gathered that up and he brought it back to Jesus and says, this is what we've got. That's what John 6, 8 says. This, this is, hey, look what we found. We've got a few loaves of bread and some fish. That's a problem. We often run across problems just like that in our lives. God throws a need in front of us and tells us to meet the need and we don't have the resources. Send them away, option one. Well, that doesn't feel good, does it? Because it doesn't even feel like it's right after we understand that people are the reason that we're here. People are the reason that we minister. When we're like Christ, we're ministering to people because that's what he was doing to us all the time. And so option one really isn't an option anymore, is it? It's, it's not an option just to say, not my problem. Option two, we've looked and we don't have the funding, okay? Option three, this is what we have, we're still short. What do we do? Well, we go to the multiplier because not much in the hands of God is always more than enough. You missed it. Not much in the hands of God is always more than enough. Hey, let's try again. Not much in the hands of God is always more than enough. Do you understand that not much in the hands of God is always more than enough? Why? Because he's the multiplier. He's the multiplier. This was the point that the disciples needed. This is what they were, they were missing. This is what we're so often missing. We look at what's in front of us and it never adds up. It's why so many people don't tithe. I can't afford to tithe. You're right. God's the multiplier. I can't afford to give my time to this. You're right. God's the multiplier. I can't afford to meet this ministry need. I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the abilities. You're right. God is the multiplier. We get caught looking at the problem. Just like the disciples do. We always look at the problem that's in front of us. And what do we see? We see this mountain and it feels insurmountable because it is. When Jesus told them to feed these people, he's setting them up. It's a total setup. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus told them this because he already knew what he was going to do. Wait, you mean Jesus told them to do something they couldn't do because he was about to show them what he could do? That's exactly what I mean. Jesus knew that they couldn't do it. And yet he says, you give them something to eat. And their resources, exhausted and limited, come back and Jesus says, guess what? Bring me what you have and watch how we multiply this. I think so often we get caught looking at what we don't have instead of what we have. We, we look at what we don't have. 
Well, I would do this if I had this. You know, if I, if I ever hit it big or, or somebody left me a lot of money, this is how I would be generous. Let me tell you something. If you're not generous now, you won't be generous then. You won't be. The training wheels are now, folks. It's for now. When you go into other parts of the world and you realize the, the resources that they have or maybe the resources that they don't have and you see the generosity that they share with other people out of the abundance of what they don't have, so to speak, it will blow you away, right? And, and we should be the most generous country in all of the world because look at all we've been given. And yet too many times we, well, if I had this, then I would give this. If I, well, what do you have that you could give? There was a little boy that didn't have much that day, but God used it. There was a, a little boy that had just brought enough for himself. The common lunch, a poor person's lunch, and God used it. I love Andrew. Because he found the loaves and the fish and he brought them to Jesus. Instead of looking at the problem, he got busy seeing what God might do with what they had. And I want you to see something because there's a connection for us throughout all the scripture. This happens over and over and over and over again, and yet we miss it. We read these stories and we think, boy, that is great for those people, but it's not about me. It is about you. It's about me. The same things that, that they struggled with, guess what? We struggle with it. So can I make a Moses connection for you? Let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute. Moses has an encounter with the living God at a burning bush. Do you remember that? And Moses says, I got to take off my glasses here and go see what's going on over here because this bush is not being consumed and yet it's on fire. That would definitely get your attention. Out of the burning bush, the Lord speaks to Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. He does. And the Lord says, this is great. I've got a plan. I know you were concerned about your people who were back in, in Egypt and I'm sending you to go get them. And guess what I'm sending you with? A rod. What? We're going to need an army. Nah. You just take that rod. It's going to be great. Throw it on the ground and watch it turn into a snake. That's going to scare everybody. At least it would scare me. I don't know about you. Some of you, if you like reptiles, you're suspicious to me. We're not that kind of Baptist around here. You know what I mean? That's over with my people in East Tennessee. I don't like them. It would scare me. You remember what he said? Well, okay, if the rod's not enough, I got, I got, man, this, this is really going to get them. Put your hand in your cloak, pull it out, and it's going to be leprous. Nobody wants leprosy. Put it back in, pull it back out, it's clean. Moses says, it's not enough. And he goes, all right, I will send your brother Aaron. So imagine this, you're going to go back and you have the responsibility of removing God's people from Egypt and all you get is a rod, a cloak, and your brother. Any of you got a brother? You trust him? I got a sister, I love her, but we're not going to Egypt. You know what I mean? You understand what's happening here. And they get there, and what does God do? He does what's impossible through his servant Moses. Moses is the mouthpiece with Aaron, and, and God does great things, signs and wonders, and they leave. Woo, let's go. We, we got out, and now we're stuck at the Red Sea. Remember Moses? What are we supposed to do? You do something. 
stick that rod in the sand. I'm gonna part these waters. They get across, whoa, this is great. We ain't got anything to eat. There's nothing to drink. What are we gonna do? And what did God give them? Manna, bread. Every morning, they would go out and gather just what they needed. Bread from heaven. And now, Jesus is showing everybody, that same God that did that, guess who it is? It's me. If you were wondering, I'm just making the, I'm just a small connection for you, I'm making it here. In John, he, he immediately begins teaching, he says, I, I'm the bread of life. He's telling them something about himself that, that's so amazing. Moses was the answer to the descendants of what God had told, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the answer to the prophecy of one of his descendants, Abraham. God had told Abraham, all your people are gonna serve uh, under pressure, under duress for 400 years in Egypt. And then I'm gonna bring them out. And Moses is the answer to that. He's the mouthpiece of that. And now Jesus, all these years later, he's saying, make the connection with me. I'm the bread of life. And John tells us this because Jesus is saying, if you come and eat of this bread, I've just given you, you bread, but now I'm telling you I'm the bread of life. And if you come eat of this, you're going to be satisfied. Now, I know you because I know me. Do you ever get hungry for things that don't satisfy Do you ever find yourself kind of pining for those things? And, and I mean, the truth of it is we, we all do this. And we all know that as soon as we get that thing, it satisfies for a moment, maybe. Maybe for a season. But it leaves us wanting to be filled again. And Jesus is, is trying to get us to see this morning that he can supply all of our needs and he's the only thing that can and he's the only thing that will satisfy and we can't fill our lives with the wrong things. And, and I want you just to, to understand what's happening here. This object lesson for them was huge. The manna that came from heaven in the Old Testament, they all knew about this. And now Jesus is feeding them and he's saying, I am the answer. He's the great multiplier. And so we don't look at our problems. We don't look at what we don't have. We simply have to look to the God of heaven. There's a chance this morning that you have a real need in your life. And if it's not today, can I just tell you it's gonna come tomorrow, next week, next month? It's just the way that it is. Do you get anxious about those things like I do? Do you find yourself worrying instead of wondering? There's a difference. Worrying about something is, how am I going to do this? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to do this? And it's like the Lord is saying, hey, you do this, just so that you run around long enough to realize you can't. And that thing gets bigger than you by the minute. Bigger and bigger and bigger. And the only recourse that we have is, is to go to Jesus and trust him to supply our needs. Trust him to supply our daily bread. Trust him to supply what we need next. I recognize that that's hard sometimes 
But I want to tell you something that's even bigger than the need that you think you have right now. It's the need for salvation in Christ. You see, you may be one of those that are in this room that Kirk was praying for earlier. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not your savior. You may know about him. You may have heard of him, but, but you've never come to a place in your life where you realize that the best of you is not enough. It, it will not satisfy. It will not take away the sin and the shame of your life. And it will not fix the problem that you have, which is separation from God the Father. And only Jesus can do that. But the good news about Jesus, he already knows your story. That stuff that you're hiding, that stuff that you don't want anybody to know, he got it. He's got it. He's not put off by it. He sees you with compassion. And he came and he died on a cross in your place so that you might have salvation. And if you've never done that, at the end of our service today, I want you to come find me because I want to tell you how you can know God the Father through Christ, his son. One last thing before we leave the, the multiplier here. There's a interesting thing that happened. Did you notice it? They didn't have enough. And when they were finished, there were how many baskets left over? It was 12. How many disciples? 12. So the guys that started with nothing, who didn't have enough to take care of the need that was right in front of them, ended up with abundance. It's an amazing thing. The God who supplies your needs supplies abundance, right? I mean, he doesn't just give us enough to scrape by. He gives us an abundance so that he shows that it's not just that we barely eked by, but that he gives us in such a way that there's abundance. Jesus was teaching the disciples something important about their future work, and it's important for us to know this morning. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? I believe it here a lot of times. I struggle to believe it here sometimes. I know it, but maybe I don't feel it. I know it, I mean, I read it, I've seen it, I can look back in my life and see how God has answered prayers. I can look back at my life and see how God has used people in ministry in incredible ways. But I, I sometimes struggle at that next mountain that needs to be crossed to, to believe it here. And there's a difference, isn't there? Because the disciples needed to know that with God, all things was going to be possible. They, they weren't going to have the resources of a, a church-sponsored state propping them up. It, it wouldn't be that way. They were going to be, in a sense, on their own with nothing but the Holy Spirit to guide them and the resources that God would provide, and it was always more than enough. There comes a point in time in our lives where we have to realize that his strength really overwhelms our weakness. The Apostle Paul spoke about that in his letter to the Corinthians. 
when he said that when we're kind of squeezed in from every side, there's something about that that begins to show the magnificence of who Christ is because when our strength runs out, that's just when his strength starts to get going. I mean, we, we think we're at the end and it's just at the beginning of what God has for us. So we have some impossible tasks ahead of us. Reach the world. Reach the world, Jesus says. How? We're just in Nashville, Tennessee. How are we going to do that? We have mission partners to fund. This is our last day to, you know, take up our faith promise cards. And, and every year when we come to this point, I have this little moment of panic in my life. Are we going to raise enough to take care of our mission partners? Ford's always like, oh, ye of little faith. I got this. This isn't your problem. This is my problem. Those are my missionaries, not yours. You preach the word. Our people will be faithful. God's gonna supply all of our needs through his riches and glory. I think about the fact that, that we have impossible tasks ahead of us. You know, we still have debt to pay off. Lord, how are we gonna do that? We've, we've wanted to do that. We've been, we've been trying to do that, Lord. And he's like, bro, I don't know if God says bro. My son says it a lot. So let's put it this way. He says, hey man, do you remember a couple of years ago when I sent the church $450,000 from a lady you never met? What did you do to get that? Uh, nothing. So it's your problem now? It's all of a sudden your problem now? I'll never forget, I see Ernie sitting out here. I'll never forget Brother Ernie walking into my office one day and saying, I have some pretty good news. And he handed me a card that had a check for $450,000 for our building fund from a lady I've still, to this day, only spoken to on the phone. Who's in control? Who's got this? In your life today, who's in control? Who's got it? One of the great joys of my life was calling Ernie back the next year. Somebody had called our church and given some money and they had some stipulations that they wanted to talk to the pastor about. And you know, we don't do stipulations with money. It's kind of a thing. So I was very hesitant. Like, I hope we don't have to give this money back. <laughs> and the lady had two stipulations. She said, you have to call two people, Jet Mueller and Ernest Standifer, because Jet's how I got to Judson. And I was part of her Sunday school class, and this gift is in honor of her and in honor of Brother Ernie. It was one of the happiest days of my life to call you, Jet. What a great blessing, right? It was one of the happiest days of my life to call Brother Ernie and say, we've had some money given in your honor. You didn't do as good as you did last year. <laughs> but you did half as good. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty great day, wasn't it, Ernie? We praised the Lord for that, didn't we? I needed this message this week. 
Because I, I think that as we look at these things, sometimes we wonder if the, the little things that we're doing with people matter every day. We just do. We, we don't know. Does feeding people really matter? I mean, you know, we go and we, we go on mission trips and we do these things and we have an opportunity. I'll, I'll never forget going to, to Africa with one of our mission partners, k for k a few years back. And I'll never forget being at that feeding site. They were feeding beans and rice to children. It mattered to them. When Isaiah and I just went to Guatemala and worked with Casa David and we're loading food bags for people and we go up into this place in the middle of the mountains and we start handing out these bags to people. Does it matter? It mattered to them. You see, Jesus was always doing things that we think sometimes don't matter. He's healing people. He's talking to people. He's feeding people. You know what he's doing? He's being human to them, right? He's ministering to them. He's doing what we need to do. The compassionate side of who Christ is is coming out. And so as we see that, the reset in all of our lives for all of these things is ministering to people. Boy, I needed that this week. Because it's not about budgets. Budgets are important, aren't they, David? But they're not the most important. People are. The ministry opportunity, the inconvenience that's going to stop you on the way home today or tomorrow, that person you're just like, oh, I don't have time for this. I, I, don't, I do not have time to deal with this. Yes, you do. It may be the most important thing that you do. We don't have the resources to do this. How are we going to do this? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we should stop and pray about it. Maybe we should ask the God who never slumbers or sleeps what he thinks about it. Maybe we should ask him to show up in some big ways and ask the Lord to bless us with the resources that we need to accomplish the ministry that he's called us to because it's his ministry, amen? And maybe today you're staring at a mountain in front of you and you'd go, I, I don't know how we're going to do it. The good news is you won't have to. Trust him and he will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we come before you and we just recognize that oftentimes our hearts Lord, they're faint, they're weak. And we just, we just have to come before you and get a reset because we're worried about things. We're worried about how we're gonna pay for something or what we're going to do or how we're going to minister or how we're going to take care of this. And then you give us the privilege of serving people. And Father, we realized that the test all along was whether or not we were going to trust you. God, somebody in here, no doubt, is facing a heavy weight and a burden. I just wanna pray for them right now. So I'm gonna ask them right now, Lord, before you, with no one else looking around but me, every head bowed, every eye closed, 
Well, if you need prayer for something, would you just lift it up? Just be honest before the Lord. Amen. Who else? Amen. Lots of us around the room. Amen. Who else? Amen. Yeah. When you've come to the end of your resources, his have just begun. When you've come to the end of his, your strength, his has just begun. So Father, for those who have been bold enough this morning to raise their hand and say they're depending on you to do something great in their lives, Lord, we depend on you with them. Father, forgive us for, for doubting your provision or doubting your power or doubting that all things are possible with you. Lord, we know it sometimes in our heads and yet we struggle with it in our hearts. So we're asking you, Lord, to do great things. Father, we're asking you to supply the needs of everyone that has raised their hands. We're asking you, Lord, to minister to them, strengthen them. And Father, as a church, we ask that you would supply our needs through your glories and riches in Christ Jesus. Father, supply the needs for our mission partners today. We bless this, this faith promise offering as we conclude it today and, and get ready to make those budgets this afternoon, thinking about all of our partners. Lord, we have them in our minds. We love them. And Father, as you have called them to go, we're happy to be able to join and partner with them. Father, there are other mountains that stand in, in our way, reaching the world, paying off debt, doing things at this church that we need to do. Help us never forget that you will supply all those needs. God, we trust you and commit our lives to you in this season. And it's in your name we pray, amen.